0: the volume
1: no! oh my god how could he do that you
2: I want don't want donate to what? Ch-
1: what
0: charles darwin
1: the nerves is where it's at
2: welcome everybody back into Third sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden and we are back. We just won't leave you guys alone this week because with all of the great NFL stuff going on, we also have to talk NBA. So we'll start off with this, Logan, because I think we're both in agreement that the Denver Nuggets have been the clear favorites out West for a while. You took the Lakers in the preseason, but that was a long time ago now. But this number two position has sort of been a shifting conversation who is your second favorite out west today
1: this has been kind of a fluid discussion for me as the season has gone along and it's hard in the early goings you know the Lakers I thought would take that uh, second position for me after the end season tournament and as we know they've hit a skid uh, for a while there I was convinced that the Suns with the return of Bradley Beal may be my number two out west uh, just with their overwhelming offensive talent the team that has slowly creeped into these discussions for me uh, as the season continues is the minnesota timberwolves and it really starts with what the team can do defensively i mean they are stifling they are long they are physical they are unrelenting like the length and the size of this minnesota timberwolves team really is remarkable to me and that is a distinct advantage that i think they hold over every other team out west and why i think that yeah they could just swarm a team in a uh, playoff series they are number one in defensive rating right now uh you got gobert on the interior mcdaniels and edwards as perimeter stoppers and then cat playing great help defense i just think that they have the personnel to match up against my uh theoretical teams with two superstars the lakers and the nuggets right both of those teams have immense size uh in hypothetical matchups against them i think the timberwolves just match up better and then I think they have distinct physical advantages against teams like the warriors the thunder the clippers like they are just burly they are big and i think that really matters uh in a playoff series so it starts defensively there and i really love the cohesion of this team that's something that i kind of do this spiel periodically carson i think we take it for granted the nuggets took time to build up to where they had obviously they had to get healthy they had to get all the pieces lined up it takes a lot to win a championship that goes without saying continuity is a big part of that. The Nuggets had to play together for years and to learn this style and once they finally got it all together, it took one beautiful year where they figured it out. The Timberwolves have had that year where it was kind of ugly. It was nasty. You know, the, the fit didn't look perfect and I've loved the ball movement, Carson. I think the uh, the offense just feels more flowing. The Like, for example, you know, you see a pick and roll with Cat. Cat gets it in the short roll, rolls, bam, alley-oop to Nas Reed. It's the team plays really well together. That is my one concern with this team, Carson, is half-court offense. Uh, Anthony Edwards is going to have to go above and beyond on the playoff stage uh, to get this team through. I mean, I think a somewhere around 30 points a night, six assists along with Mike Conley pulling his weight, Cat performing on a big stage, Rudy Gobert not being played off the floor, all of these things come into play. And so half-court offense is probably my biggest concern with the T-Wolves, but they have the physical advantages. They have the defensive ceiling. If Ant reaches that superstar ceiling, if Carl anthony Towns pulls his weight, I really like the Timberwolves as my two. And that's the other thing. As I mentioned, the continuity aspect. I don't think the Timberwolves necessarily have to make any more moves at the trade deadline for me to buy into them as a contender. Uh, and I will say, it was really close for me with Oklahoma City because I think they are in the same boat. If Oklahoma City or Minnesota make a move to upgrade their team, uh, maybe they will definitively, you know, take that leap and be my number two concretely but I think they're there already where they're going to be a competitive tough out in the playoffs but uh, that's a big component of it to me too is that the Lakers have to make a move the Warriors have to make a move Minnesota for the most part is set in this rotation and that's an advantage I would give them so it starts with the physical advantages in the defense and there are some red flags for me with Minnesota but they're my number two team right now man that defensive ceiling is something that I just think you can buy into right now and that is going to be consistent throughout the
2: playoffs i agree i have minnesota number two and i've felt that way for a while now i did have the lakers as my number two team out west coming into the year then there was a brief moment about seven games into the year where i thought oh my god look at this Warriors second unit once clay and wiggins get their acts together and when draymond's consistently out on the floor this team could really be something so waiting for that all to happen it is an interesting conversation and I think there's three teams outside of Denver that have been consistently playing great basketball for a while now in the West. The Thunder are damn good on both sides of the ball. I love them, and I think that that is a group that has titles in their future, no question. But they're really young and inexperienced in playoff settings, and they're really slight on the front line. And that absolutely matters against Minnesota and Denver and the Lakers, a lot of these really good teams out West. The Clippers over the last 15 games, have been the number 2 offense in basketball, but they're 18th in defensive rating, so we haven't seen that two-way ceiling from them yet. And then the T-Wolves are easily the best defense in the league, but they're 19th in offensive rating. So all of these teams have some sort of concrete flaw that certainly keeps them a tier below Denver at the very least, but I do think that Minnesota checks the most boxes. And I am normally very hesitant... To buy into any team that isn't a really good offense to go on a deep playoff run. I just think that that is so important to be able to reliably create high quality shots. It keeps you uh, in any series. The ability to keep pace with basically anybody. But the key to me is that Minnesota has been a good half-court offense. They're a 63rd percentile efficiency half-court offense. They don't get out and transition and run much because they have these two big looks and so they can't push the tempo all that much. But... When it comes to those grind-it-out, slow-it-down playoff environments, I actually think that that much better suits their play style. They're like the antithesis in that sense of the Memphis teams of the last couple of years. They may have posted a very good offensive rating overall, but were quite bad in the half court. In playoffs, your ability to create in the half court is much more important to me than what you can do getting out and running in transition because defenses are more buttoned up. The pace just naturally slows down. They have two big-time scores in those situations. and to me has risen to the level of a high-end number one in the playoffs before. He has that blend of big-time pull-up shooting, unbelievable athleticism and rim pressure. Cat has done an awesome job of mismatch attacking and shooting the hell out of the ball. They have really good shooting as a team. They're fifth in the league in terms of three-point percentage, and they are physical, as you say, and that scales really well to a playoff environment. I love their depth. I think they have as good a sixth-seventh man combo as any team in the league, and that defense is so reliably dominant, and that's regardless of matchup. Rudy Gobert isn't going to get played off the floor because, first of all, now they have another big who can attack mismatches if teams try to go small. And secondly, a lot of Utah's defensive issues were a product of the fact that they had nobody who could defend at the point of attack. And so Gobert had to try to compensate for everything and teams could exploit the team defense more than it was just Gobert. That's no longer the case. They have awesome point of attack defense in Minnesota. The Clippers matchup to me is tricky though. And the Clippers are my third team in the West right now and really close. I do buy into them more than the Thunder, because I do think that they are more physically imposing in that front court. They have bigger, stronger wings like a Kawhi, like a PG alongside Zubots, who is also a bigger, stronger five. And when you're thinking about the particulars of, okay, how do the Timberwolves guard the Clippers? I think what you probably have to do is put Cat on Zubots, who matches up as a big body, and then Gobert on Terrence Mann so that he can be most effective as a helper. Of course, last time Gobert was on Terrence Mann in a playoff series, it was against the Clippers, and Terrence Mann had 39 points in a game, and that's pretty memorable. But again, this is a a different situation with this Minnesota defense. But the Clippers scare me because they have such elite shot makers, and they have three dudes who are such high-level offensive threats on the floor at any time. And just generally, picking against a healthy Kawhi Leonard-led team scares me. That dude is lethal. In playoff environments, he just gets better and better because of the combination of strength and big-time shot-making. For me right now, the difference is just, I need to see the Clippers defend at a higher level. I need to see their ability to make the other team uncomfortable, because until I see that, then I am still going to worry about, okay, what happens if James Harden does regress a bit in the playoff scenario? Even though I think here, there's less offensive burden, he's dealing with team's third-best perimeter defenders often, that bodes well. But I do also worry about the size still in a matchup like this. The Timberwolves are just so big, so athletic. But the Clippers are really, really good. And they are better than I expected. And I said at the time that I thought they should have made the hardened move just because they had to do something. Because they had to push their chips all in. Otherwise, Kawhi and PG were just going to leave. And with the new arena, they just had to commit to this current timeline with their stars. And they've succeeded in that objective now because Kawhi just extended today for three years, $152 And yes, it is becoming more and more commonplace that dudes take their extensions and then will just demand a trade as opposed to maintaining their traditional free agency because less and less teams have cap in the off seasons and more and more players do have the ability to just force trades. But I don't think that Kawhi would have done that unless he was really encouraged by what he's seen as of late. And I think that he should be. I think this team clearly has a higher ceiling with James Harden. And if they can stay healthy, they are really scary. I still worry about a matchup against the Nuggets because I think that team defends better. I think that team is bigger. I think that team has the best player in that series. I think that team has the more reliably unstoppable offense. But against everybody else, yeah, the Clippers are really, really scary right now.
1: I agree with you. And it comes down to one thing. It's the three-point shooting. I mean, if the Clippers get hot and go on a run where five or six games in a series they can shoot 40 or 50 percent behind the arc because they have that caliber of shooters you can run any team out of the building that's kind of the beauty of the three ball i i do think they get big bodied by minnesota i do think that's a difference i think they get big bodied by denver and i don't think they defend super well but i, I wasn't with you carson i was skeptical about the paul george move now i agree with you at the time i thought you got to make harden. a move I james just, harden move what did i say sorry paul george paul george excuse me uh yeah, I, at the time, I didn't. I thought they should make the James Harden move because the only real superstar on the table, you needed to do something. Like you said, you got to commit to this timeline. Uh, I wasn't as convinced that it was going to lead to seamless offense. I've been super impressed with Harden. Like the. He's a real point guard, man. He's like a legitimate point guard at this time. And that was the one real need that we pointed with the Clippers. Kawhi and PG, while they've grown as playmakers aren't reliable great number ones and when a guy can create advantages for you and he notices everything on the floor like Harden has impressed me with these cross-court passes where I mean if you help off a little bit on a guy who's maybe uh, creeping for a cut or you're helping off because you think Harden might blow by his guy because you don't have a greatest defender on him Harden is noticing that or if Kawhi and PG are leaking out back to the top of the key he's got really great vision and he really has helped this team offensively I I'm skeptical though, Carson. I really am skeptical about the Clippers, and I don't think I would have them as my number three. I think they would still probably to be number six or number seven.
2: No way.
1: Yeah, no, no. I'm serious. Injuries are still a big concern for me with this team. Defensively, I'm still concerned, and then yeah, the physical rebounding matchup. Even in a hypothetical against the Lakers, I don't know, but do the Lakers? The the Lakers, man. The Lakers are just, uh, the, the Lakers, they, they never change. I don't, yeah,
2: they're like, they're, they're somewhere between five and seven for me. Wow. I just can't agree with that. I think that we have seen that this is a team that has arguably the most lethal combination in the league of catch and shoot, just lethal dudes from deep, and then this really lethal perimeter on ball creation. And that doesn't mean that I think that this offense is perfect because the one dimension that they're still missing against some of the elite teams is that high-end rim pressure. But I think these dudes play well together. I think that they are all lethal in isolation or pick and roll. I think PG and Kawhi are playing well away from the ball, even in terms of the size matchups. It's not like they are totally out of their league. Like this is the seventh best rebounding team in basketball. And, If you're telling me that it's going to be Kawhi guarding Cat, I'm not just like, oh, that's food. Kawhi guards the post well. Kawhi guards Biggs well because he is so strong and he does have that sort of length. So I'm just not seeing enough red flags here. Like Even if Harden's efficiency as a scorer does take a step back and his production as a scorer does take a step back, he's your third option. And I still think he's facilitating at a high level. And Kawhi can go nuclear at a moment's notice. And I do like these role players. Like, Terrence Mann needs to shoot better. If he shoots as he has this year, he's been 26% from deep. Rudy Gobert would have no trouble aggressively leaving him in the corner, being super active as a help defender, and not getting punished for that. But Terrence Mann's a better shooter than that, and he will shoot better. But... I think that Zubats has been awesome as that interior finisher and as a high-level rim protector off the bench. I think that you do have some quality pieces with Norman Powell and Russ. Like, this is a different-looking Clippers team. As we talked about, they can't go small in the same way they used to because now you've lost that dimension of Batum at the five. You are less athletic. Your point-of-attack defense in terms of guard play isn't quite as good as it used to be. But they have another high-level offensive threat and Kawhi and PG are still doing what those dudes do. So, the Clippers are really, really good. They're really, really good. And this offense isn't going anywhere. This is a top-five offense in basketball. Yeah, you're
1: talking, you're talking me
2: into it a little bit more. Like, 6-7. And- then you're talking about the Kings. Like, there's no way to have a team like the Warriors above them. I don't think there's any way to have a team like the Suns above them. I just think what we are seeing from the Clippers is this incredibly reliable high-end offensive production from their stars and versus a team like the suns the suns are going to be more inclined to rely on that mid-range area whereas the clippers have more potential to explode because it's the classic threes for two situation and then they are bigger they are more physical i do like their role players more they're just better yeah You make
1: some good points. I was gonna say like I was debating Sacramento and Dallas because I kind of had them in the same tier, but the the difference really is Kawhi and PG on the other side of the ball because it's not like the Kings or the Mavericks have any any kind of defensive stoppers on the wings at all. Keegan's good. I'll give Keegan's good. Keegan's a good defender, but it's not like Mm -hmm. the Mavs have team as a whole. The Mavs have no wing defense. The Kings have no wing defense outside of Keegan. And you're right. And uh. The one thing I will say about the Clippers in those hypotheticals against the Lakers, against the Timberwolves, against uh, the Nuggets where they are at clear, distinct physical disadvantages, I think it is going to take Kawhi and PG, Harden, man, a committed and concerted effort on the glass. Like, I think the team is going to have to sell out on the boards to win
2: that series. I just don't think that they're like crazy outmatched there. I think that the difference in terms of overall caliber as a team between them and And Minnesota, for example, is slim. And oftentimes, I am inclined to go with the team that I think has the best player, which without a question is Kawhi in that series, and that has the better offense, because that's so reliable. Now, I do think that Minnesota's defensive advantage is so great, and I do believe in their half-court offense enough to where I'm leaning them. And even though they aren't as experienced necessarily as the Clippers, all of their dudes have been in playoff environments. Several of their key vets have been in multiple deep playoff runs, so... I think that they are battle-tested in that sense. I like Minnesota a lot. I like the Clippers a lot. I think that those are pretty clearly the two and three for me right now. But when it does come to the Lakers, Logan, it's just clear to me that they need to make a move. And I know there's a lot of people who just want us to be entirely out on the Lakers. And I just can't get to that point because I still believe that they are one move away, not from being necessarily a title-caliber team, It would take a whole lot for me to believe, yeah, that team can beat Denver, but AD and LeBron are playing at an unbelievably high level, and when that is the case, you just need role players around them who are shooting well enough and defending at a high enough level, and I don't like this team as much as I did coming into the year, of course, and there were a couple of additions that I was high on, Christian Wood hasn't had the impact that I hoped. Gabe Vincent, I thought, that's a quality guard you're bringing in for depth, and he's barely played this year, he just hasn't been healthy. Their overall effort has been horrible, like the Lakers just have not been a good regular season basketball team. But I didn't ever expect them to look their best in the regular season, and I don't think that this is a finished product. So no, I am not out on the Lakers, but until they do make a move and show us they're a better basketball team, I can't put them uh, up against these, this version of the Minnesota Timberwolves that is consistently playing great basketball. But there's a the Lakers stuff, like... Last year, the take that I got the most flack for was that after the deadline, the Lakers, who by the way, I did not like at all during the regular season last year. I thought that as long as Russ was on that team, they were unserious. They were not even playoff caliber. Once they made those moves, I said, hey, they figured out some stuff. They've got a really high defensive ceiling. They played well down the stretch of the regular season. I said, I think this team is going to Western Conference Finals. Everybody hated that take. And guess what? It happened. So people aren't always rational about the Lakers. That being said, Logan, there was actually quite a bit of discourse today about the Lakers and perhaps some bias in their favor because they shot 23 free throws in the fourth quarter against the Raptors last night, who shot just two. So quickly, before we move on, just because that's kind of the story of the day, what was your take on all that drama? Awesome game.
1: Fantastic game. I was uh, beside myself that the refs chose to interfere. The free throw discrepancy was one thing. It was staggering in that game. Uh, in the fourth quarter, the Raptors get outshot 23-2 to in free throws. Ridiculous on the game as a whole. They got outshot 36-13. The one play... That was disgusting to me again beautifully flowing basketball game they're just going blow for blow back and forth also i have a new take on the raptors knicks trade i think that is an absolute crushed home run i said it was mutually beneficial for both teams i think both teams crushed it i think that the knicks got a great deal i think the raptors got a good deal rj in it's all about roles you know what i mean OG's role with the Knicks fits so much better. IQ and RJ's roles with the Raptors fit so much better. Uh, I think Dennis Schroeder is really expendable, and the Raptors don't need him and shouldn't play him. Uh, but RJ and Quickly, I-, I-, I love. I think they fit perfectly. RJ looks rejuvenated to be in Canada. Sorry, I had some Canada. I had some Raptors thoughts to get out here. Yeah, uh, no, and no Quickly groups. is just the man, dude. Oh, I love, Emmanuel Quickly. They, the Raptors, so desperately needed half-court guard creation and these guys I just think just fit way better uh, in Toronto, but that game specifically uh, One of the final plays of the game. uh, I made a video a while back breaking down Scotty Barnes amazing leap this season Uh, He's been shooting the hell out of the basketball and late in this basketball game. The Raptors are down three Uh, They kick the ball to RJ the the Lakers are playing really good defense It's a stagnant possession. They kick it to RJ on the wing and Scotty is at the elbow uh, RJ drives past his man and his guy drops right there, right when AD and the point of attack defender need to figure out who's going to pick up on who. Scotty relocates from the elbow where AD is on him and gets back out to the wing. RJ takes both defenders uh, and kicks the ball right back out to Scotty. Right as he kicks it to Scotty, sets a screen to set up Scotty for the three. Scotty bangs the three and they call a moving screen on RJ. I just thought it was a. Uh, horrible call they tie the game up me and my roommate are really excited uh we're either going to get ot we're going to get lebron and ad trying to get a final bucket the game is setting up for a classic basketball moment these are the moments that you live for as a basketball fan we're either going to get a the raptors are going to steal the game or the lakers are going to steal the game and they call a moving screen uh lakers get some free throws to wrap it up like the entire fourth quarter i sympathize with darko uh the head coach for the raptors like The free throw discrepancy speaks to exactly what he was talking about, but that play, that play where RJ creates that three, you just can't call that, in my opinion. And RJ is moving just a little bit is what makes it so frustrating.
2: It's a a clear moving screen. I have to disagree with you here. At that point in the game? At that point in the game? You do not get to actively take two steps into a guy's path as he's trying to recover to a shooter and initiate contact with a bump. That is like a flagrant moving screen. I think that you have to call that. Why? You mean, at, you're saying at that point in the game, does the offensive player have more right to bend the rules than the defensive player has a right to to pursue a shooter just because the Raptors tied up the game and it was an exciting moment? I don't think that you can do that. I think that that legitimately had an impact on that play, 1,000%, and it was a clear moving screen.
1: Yeah, I've never played a day of organized ball in my life, but I wouldn't call it on the pickup <laughs> court, man.
2: Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what, dude? You might get an elbow just, to the face and not call it in pickup. That's what I'm
1: saying. You don't call anything in pickup, man. I just hated... Oh, RJ made such a
2: good play, man. He took both defenders. It was soul crushing. Uh, took both different. defenders by shuffling right into AD. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a good vision, but it was still a moving screen.
1: It was a beautiful basketball play, and that's why I was frustrated. The, the free throw discrepancy was real for the entirety of the game, the entirety of the fourth quarter. Uh, on the flip side of this, I don't want to make this all about the officiating. Oh, my God, what an amazing game by Anthony Davis. He has been so much more physical, taking advantage of, his, of mismatches he had. Uh, he gets a late bucket in this game that pretty much seals it on Pascal Siakam where uh, the right low block is open, and he just big bodies him. It's the right play. What did, did you think that the Raptors were, uh, you know, unfairly, uh, that they kind of had this one robbed from, I think the free throw discrepancy was big enough. I don't know. As a basketball purist, that final play frustrated me, but you're right. RJ was moving. Yeah. Uh, The free throw discrepancy was huge to me. And I think that did have an impact on the outcome of this game. I didn't
2: think that this game was well-officiated. I thought that the Raptors overall got the short end of the stick. I just don't think that that's the play to point to. I think that that was actually pretty clear. But I thought that Austin Reeves got two free throws that he did not deserve, did some classic trickeration, Harden-esque, hooked Thad's arm so it looked like a reach and then just sort of flailed and goes up with a half-hearted shot attempt and he got rewarded for that. I thought maybe Scotty should have gotten a call on a drive or two. I generally think, though, that outrage over free throw differentials like this can be oversimplified and can be overplayed and guys will just look at the bottom line number and they won't think about play style. They won't think about context, right? Like the last six free throws the Lakers took were all off of intentional fouls. It's already a large discrepancy, but that certainly makes the number even a bit more exaggerated and people will start to act like every single call was wrong when in reality it's just going to be a couple it's like to me the Steve Kerr outrage with Jokic right there's maybe a couple of those that are ticky-tack that were the wrong call but whether Jokic was going to shoot 14 free throws or 18 like he actually did you were still fouling him a lot and this feels similar to me there's a couple calls that probably go the wrong way but I thought that the quickly flagrant that a lot of people were upset about that's a tough one but I'm never going to be surprised when any sort of elbow contact to a player's face is called a flagrant. Like, yes, it is a relatively natural basketball move, but ripping through high like that with your elbow at the level of the defender's face is dangerous. They are trying to legislate that stuff out of the game, out of the game. And regardless of intent, that gets called a flagrant pretty often. And then the moving screen I thought was the right call. So I just think oftentimes, People will look at something like free throw differential and when it's large, they will just say, that is the key here. That is the reason that this game went that way. And when it's as close as this one was, I totally understand that. If you are a Raptors fan, if you are Dokorajakovich, then I would be upset too because those things on the margins do really matter. But then people try to make it some sort of wide-scale conspiracy and say this always happens with the Lakers when I think the Lakers have been a very disciplined team and they put a lot of pressure on the rim they drive hard I think a lot of that explains the free throw differential that they generally have and we had to have this whole conversation last year so yes there were a couple blown calls but I think people just often take things too far when they go with the whole blame the refs approach
1: and the Raptors are pretty undersized like you mentioned. I do think the Raptors win this game too if they just don't play Chris Boucher. That guy sucks, man. Hey, like that Canadian guy is legitimately legends. bad at he's not good. I would not play him. Canadian uh, I legend. saw him I saw him miss a three-pointer off the stanchion yesterday. A corner three just hit it
2: right off the side
1: of the backboard. It was very ugly
2: chill on Canadian and Pac-12 legend and G League legend Chris Boucher and Warriors legend Chris Boucher, who has hilariously been a Toronto Raptor for like six years at this point. They love that guy. Okay. So we talked about who we think is that number two out West out East, it has been more of a clear pack at the top, where the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers have just been totally separated from the rest of the conference in terms of record up to this point consistently. After those top three, Logan, we just have a whole pack of sardines. It's actually pretty hilarious. There is one game separating the Knicks at the four seat, then the Heat, Pacers, and Cavs, all of the same exact record, just a half game behind the Knicks, and then a half game behind them is the Magic in the 8th seed. So between the four and the 8th seed, it's just one game of separation. Out of that whole pack, who do you think is the next best team in the conference behind those top three? To me, it's between New
1: York and Miami. Right now, I'm going to say the Knicks, but uh, it's really close between those two teams to me. Uh, it's really because of the move that they just made that I alluded to earlier. I just think OG Ananobi takes this team up a notch with what he can do. Uh, they are five and zero now with OG Ananobi, and first, I-, I think he just fits culturally with how this team wants to play. I think Tibbs needed another point of attack guy, a dog, uh, a mentality guy, and consistently night to night, if it's uh, taking the opposing team's best perimeter player, if it's being a helpside rim protector on the backside uh, OG can do it all defensively, uh, they have a defensive rating of 93 with OG Ananobi on the court, that's outrageous, uh, this is just a five-game sample size, but they're 38 points better defensively with OG on the court, uh, and then offensively, I think he can just do more of the little things that RJ and quickly can't, right, you think about it, RJ's not a great defender, right, he's got the tools, he's not a great defender, quickly, uh, Tries, You know, he plays hard. He's not a defensive plus. OG immediately comes in and is both of those. Can take twos, threes, fours, ones. You know, wherever you need him to go. And then offensively, uh, you know, quickly can fill it up. Can get you buckets. You have a guy like Jalen Brunson. You have Dante DiVincenzo. You don't really need more ball handling. You don't need RJ more ball handling, more self-creation you know there's some redundancies there so og comes in and he can do all of the little things he can really play a true garbage man role and that's not to be disrespectful you need og guys like og are very valuable to winning titles you need guys to do the little things and og is going to cut hard he is going to spot up he is going to and this is so underrated he's going to be in the right spot positionally right like guys like og ananobi josh hart dante DiVincenzo. These are guys that win you rings i don't know if it's gonna happen i'm certainly not counting the knicks out though like i really like new york i think this is a home run and i don't mean to make this guy an absolute punching bag really the only thing holding back the new york knicks right now is julius Randle to me if the knicks didn't have julius Randle, i'd be all in like offensively you have a bona fide playmaker on offense who is going to make you great jalen brunson this last week uh leads the knicks to a 4-0 record he puts up 29 and nine a night and they just have complementary pieces that fit perfectly. I think there's a team that's going to play hard, that's going to play physical, that is going to kill you on the glass. Uh, and they have a guy on offense that is going to generate good offense for his teammates consistently in Jalen Brunson. Uh, he may not be a 1A, but he can damn sure lead out a great offense. He just he gets the ball into the paint. He's dynamic. Uh, Brunson's the man. The reason I say that it's close for me between the Miami Heat is the Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo effect and the fact that I think Eric Spolstra in any given playoff series can schematically swing a series. Right now, I'm going to say the Knicks because I think they're more physical, but
2: I like the Heat too. The Knicks, to me, definitely have a higher ceiling. And I agree with you, it's either New York or Miami. When we're talking about the other teams in this range, the Magic just aren't at the level offensively yet to where I can respect them in this tier. They're 22nd in offensive rating, 27th in three-point percentage, 27th percentile half-court offense. The Pacers, as we all know, are not fun to date because they can't guard anybody. 26th in defensive rating. You cannot be so deeply flawed on one side of the ball to be at this level for me. And then the Cavs, yes, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries this year, but I just think they are still so lacking in quality wings their star skill sets are still still too redundant where they have these defensive issues in the backcourt and the offense, they have these massive offensive skill issues, all the same things that uh, made them struggle in the playoffs last year, they haven't addressed to me. So it does come down to New York and Miami and the Knicks look awesome right now. OG is a great fit. Everything he does away from the ball, defensively, shooting the shit out of it. The Knicks have been 5-0 with him. They're blowing people out. Their defense has been by far the best in the league since adding him. And I do really like the supporting cast overall. You mentioned Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, Quentin Grimes. All these dudes are just good complimentary wings who make winning plays. And Hardenstein is balling. Mitchell Robinson out for the year. And Hardenstein has stepped up. He's protecting the rim at a high level, holding people 12% below their typical field goal percentage inside of six feet. Really important to anchoring this very good Knicks defense right now that hadn't been so good earlier in the year. He's got good hands defensively. And then offensively, he's a physical finisher. He's got good touch. He's a really good rebounder. He's a legit starting five. And so when you combine that with Jalen Brunson, who I do think is a top 15-ish player, certainly top 20, I absolutely believe in as a shot creator in that playoff environment, and Julius Randle, like that's a really good team, but it does come down to me to my lack of faith in Randall's game translating yeah. and the inconsistencies <laughs> that we're going <laughs> to see from him. And this Knicks team is better now and their spacing is better. So when you think of teams aggressively helping on Brunson and Randall every drive, and then the Knicks not being able to hold them accountable with spot up shooting, cause it's RJ over there. I think of that dynamic is different with OG and maybe that makes Randall better because then teams can't send as much defensive attention his way and his playmaking, which we've seen at times regress in the playoffs, that's not an issue. And the one thing that I am always going to be worried about him is his consistent settling for tough jumpers and just not being consistently good at those shots. So to me, it's not just if you removed Julius Randle, I would love the Knicks. It's more like if you could just have a better guy in that archetype, a big scoring wing who can play make a bit, like Julius Randle's volume is there. He's what you need over the course of a regular season, but in the playoffs, yeah, I worry. And we've seen it before. So if he was able to maintain good Julius Randle level for a playoff run, I would view them more highly than I do Miami. But the formula of Jimmy, Bam, good shooting and good team defense is just really scary. And they are clearly on paper a better team than last year in every way. Jaime Jaquez is, I would say, the best role-playing wing they've had. The guy is an extremely versatile scorer, really can do it from all over the floor, can do it as a ball handler, can do it out of the post, has been a solid spot-up shooter, a good instinctual cutter. Like, the guy is just really, really good and ready to contribute now. He's a versatile defender, a solid playmaker. Duncan Robinson, who we saw have his resurgence in the playoffs last year is putting the ball on the floor and playmaking way more than ever before, and he's shooting at that classic 42% from deep clip. Caleb Martin and Josh Richardson, really quality supporting wings. So it's a clearly more talented roster. Like, forget losing Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. They have replaced those dudes with, I would say, better wing play overall. But when you look at some of the things that went their way last year, like Jimmy played at an obscene level, he was like a top five player for a couple rounds at least, and they shot 45% from three in a couple of their series. So maybe they can't sustain those things, but I do think, A, I'm not talking about them making a finals run again, and they are a better basketball team. I think the supporting cast is their best since 2020, since the finals run. And I have a lot of faith in that duo. I have a lot of faith in Bam to anchor a really good defense and Jimmy just consistently takes his level up a notch. He is physical. He dominates from that intermediate area which can be really valuable when you can get to your spots at will. He controls the pace of the game. He play makes well. He defends well. Like he just always steps up. His game is so playoff made. So yeah, the Knicks do have a big size advantage. I do think their offense can be better than last year. I also think that this isn't a great matchup for Randall. I think that Bam defends him really, really well in isolation situations. I think we saw even at times a guy like Kevin Love, who we can't overpower, was able to fare okay in those matchups with Bam and help. I've seen Miami do it more, and they are the team that when you underestimate them, they tend to make you look silly. And so because I still do worry about that Knicks fatal flaw with Julius Randall, I'm leaning Miami wow i don't blame you for that
1: too and there's another guy too that you didn't mention that i like that really helps their wing depth Nikola jovic has been getting some burn recently too and i just like him as you know you think about Miami's shortcomings in the playoffs these past couple of seasons it really has been size athleticism and you know jovic isn't gonna take their offense up and oh another component too that i meant to mention uh tyler hero is healthy too in playing phenomenal basketball. You know, I mean, they didn't have him for the playoffs until
2: Of course. Uh, did he
1: did, did he play in the finals or did he uh was he out he the played, entire run? He,
2: he played one game, yeah.
1: Played played one game. I mean, he's invaluable to have for this team and he's again playing phenomenal basketball. Uh, Jovich though, I just think with his length uh In a hypothetical series against the Knicks, he could be really valuable too. Crashing the glass, hitting open shots, and just in terms of versatility, right? You have Duncan Robinson who, if you want to attack a matchup, if the Knicks are going to zone or something like that, uh, and you want a guy who can hit open threes, put him out there. If you need more size and defense and other things, put Jovic out there. I think he can be valuable, even though how young he is. I think uh, Hawkes and Jovic could be valuable in a playoff run, and One final thing about Randall Carson because we have our guys that I know that people think that we rag on too much if we're talking NFL and it's Tua, if we're talking basketball and it's Julius Randall. It's not his skill set. Guys like like that, to be clear, good Julius Randall when he is taking guys to the hole, when he can overpower guys, he's really physical, he's really strong when he's hitting his pull-up jumpers, when he's hitting open looks, he's good. The issue is just consistently when he's taking the offense out of rhythm, right? It would be nice to have a guy who's just, making winning plays. And what I mean by that is instead of Randall catching the ball in the corner and then he hits a jab step and then he hits a pump fake, well, if Jalen Brunson just created you an advantage, that advantage is now gone. Because Julius Randle didn't drive the lane. He didn't attack that closeout. He didn't take advantage of what the guy did for him. You know, he he can just... Julius Randle, more than many other stars in the league, can just do that. And I think a connecting piece would be so much better. How they got an OG, a a connecting star would be so much more valuable to the Knicks playing winning basketball. I I don't mean to hate on him too much, but it is a, it's a real flaw that we have now seen in two playoff runs and consistently
2: in bad regular season games. Totally. Like there's no denying the guy's ceiling, right? He's scored 35 points in three of his last five games. He had one absolute dud in there when he was one of 11. That's kind of the Julius Randle experience, but negative assist-to-turnover ratio in his playoff career, down to 17 points a game, 39% on twos, 28% on threes, does take your offense out of rhythm, can be that black hole, isn't going to be high effort defensively. Like, all of these things are real, and it's just hard to win a multiple playoff series when you have a dude in that high volume a role who is going to have some of those limitations but naheed have been able to find a way to win multiple playoff series even if their talent doesn't necessarily stack up and a huge huge reason for that is eric spoelster logan spo just got an eight-year 120 million dollar extension it is historic so we're going to play a quick game i'm going to give you a hypothetical scenario you tell me if that would get spo fired or not okay Let's do it. All right. He exclusively bumps logic in the locker room. And when players complain, (laughs) he tells them they don't understand his lyrical genius or the complexity of his upbringing fired or no for that canned
1: that's egregious.
2: Okay. He orders a life-size cutout of Paul George for the locker room. And after every coaching tip he gives whispers to it, what do you think goat fired or no? That's kind of kinky. I like
1: that. But <laughs> instead, could, could we do like a life-size cutout of like Dr. Phil? I think, the, I think I'd think i like that a little more. Unfortunately, it
2: has to be Paul George.
1: Dude, I'm not even mad at that.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Good for the culture, apparently. How about this one? Every time the opposing team scores, he makes all the Miami players huddle up, hold hands, and scream, heat culture! Fired or no for that? I like that. That's good for the brand. Wow. Okay. See, this is what we're talking about. Spo is some real job security. All right, what if he disrespects any of the Norse gods? Let's just say it's the raven flanked god Odin. Maybe he says something like raven schmavens. And as a divine punishment, Duncan Robinson loses his jump shot again. Should Spo be fired for that or no?
1: He should not only be fired, I think he should be struck by lightning. It
2: should just come down on him. Appropriate, so that would be Thor- Responding in retaliation mm-hmm. for his family member. That makes sense. What if he starts only referring to Kyle Lowry as caked up Kyle or caboose Kyle, <laughs> ultimately creating an uncomfortable workspace? Fired or no? no? I don't think that's uncomfortable. I think Kyle okay. would quite like that.
1: Well, I don't know. I'm not going. If I'm Kyle Lowry, I'm not going to HR. All
2: right. Noted. So basically. The only things that can get Spo fired are playing Logic. That's the only way in which he would be let go. I think everything else you said you were good with, right? If he plays
1: my glorious biracial king, yeah. Yeah, okay, so he can't.
2: Oh, no, actually, also if he disrespects one of the Norse gods. Mm -hmm. right. All right, that's good to know. So, Pat Riley, um, (laughs) keep that in mind. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets.
1: Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can bet just 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: All right, so if Spo has the utmost respect of his organization, Logan, there are some other dudes who have uh, been disrespected considerably over the years. Some people might say Julius Randle is one of those guys. I would just say, is it disrespect if it's accurate? Probably not. But which disrespected NBA player do you feel has done the most to prove people wrong this year? I got
1: a couple candidates. I'm going to start with a guy that I spoke about earlier, uh, and that is Jalen Brunson. Mm. Uh, we had a little bit of this discussion back when Becky Hammond made her comments about uh, Jalen Brunson, and then all the uh, misogynistic douches on the internet, uh, mm. you know, came back after her. She made a valid point about Brunson and the fact that he is not in that traditional mold uh, as a number one. You know, we went through the guys. Normally, you have to have a top five player on the planet to win a title. That's normally a a component of it. But, I mean, you think about where Brunson was a couple of years back, and I don't think people appreciated him enough. You know, mm-hmm. us, of course, at NerdSesh, we've been Jalen Brunson fans since early Brunson in the league. A uh, little bit of a do-it-all kind of guy. Uh, just made winning plays. Still, even after a Western Conference Finals run that was propelled heavily by Brunson, again, Luka Doncic misses major time in that playoff run, and Brunson is putting up... 25 30 pieces just going to work and he kind of showing you these flashes of what he what he can do and now that he's in this big time role i just think that people need to wake up and recognize and appreciate how valuable the way that jalen brunson plays is Uh, and what i mean by that is it's not it's really atypical style of how he plays basketball it's really methodical uh and it's not you know you think about modern basketball and you probably think about trey young and heavy pick and roll uh, these mm-hmm. high-volume guys who shoot a lot of three-pointers, and uh, that's really the base of their game. I mean, Brunson is just kind of a throwback in the way that he can go on the low block and back guys down with his strength. Uh, with his strength. Um,
2: mm. how you Um, going to say caboose. Uh,
1: that, too. Yeah. He's, a, he's pretty thick. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a component of it. Like, he's a strong guy. Brunson is good out of pick and roll. He is good in isolation. It's just he's not insanely athletic. He's not insanely quick. It's a really, I think it's an elegant way of, of how he plays the game. It's just really unique and there's not really another high level offensive freighter. Again, good Julius Randle on good Julius Randle nights can do it. But when Julius Randle isn't there, Jalen Brunson is just a constant. And what I mean with his style of play is it's being dynamic varying up your shot selection if it's mid-range jumpers if it's threes if it's getting into the paint and taking layups if it's floaters if it's a post touch for jalen brunson there's a level of dynamism with him that you don't get with other guards there's also him just getting the ball down to the paint so consistently that is so valuable where guys have to turn their heads and pay attention to him and maybe help off a little bit and that just opens up things for his teammates jalen brunson just makes winning plays he's a winning basketball player and we've seen this for Two years in New York now, and we've seen this. We've seen him make winning plays since his days back at Villanova. Jalen Brunson may not be a top five player on the planet or a superstar that is going to lead the Knicks to the NBA Finals, but that doesn't mean that we should just totally discredit everything that Jalen Brunson does. He is a winning basketball player that makes the Knicks so much better. Uh, I, I just appreciate the guy so much, and I want to put some respect on his name. I think... I don't know if I had him. We had a brief All-Star discussion... I think he would be one of my last guards uh, as an all-star on the East. Um,
2: Yeah, I don't know if I said that in our all-star episode, but he would be for me. No, you did. You did. Because we were talking about if there was a spot for Derek White and he was one of the six guards who had to be there. I think that kind of the most disrespectful thing that Jalen Brunson has to deal with isn't outright. I don't think that anybody really comes out right and says, Jalen Brunson sucks. There was all the outrage over Becky Hammond, but... She said that he wasn't the guy like a 1A on a title team, which is accurate. To me, like the sort of subtly disrespectful thing is the constant discourse about how they got to get Donovan Mitchell to New York. Because first of all, the fit doesn't work there, right? You can't have two small guards who need to have the ball in their hands like that. That just doesn't make sense. Just because Donovan Mitchell wants to be in New York doesn't mean that you have to make that happen. But more importantly, like I think that Jalen Brunson, is probably better than Donovan Mitchell. And I think that because he does play a more versatile style of basketball, because there is more shot variety there, he's not going to shoot you out of a game with 12 pull-up threes, only making two of them in a way that Donnie might. He is a better playmaker. Like, Mitchell has a really high ceiling when he is just raining threes, and he can get to the rim a little bit more because he's more athletic, but it's not like Donnie's consistently pressuring the rim at a high level. I just think Brunson plays a more mature complete brand of basketball offensively and that's why he had such an unbelievable playoff run last year and Mitchell has had great playoff runs in the past too but I am higher on Brunson right now so you don't need to get Donovan Mitchell okay he's not the guy he's not the guy for you any more than Jalen Brunson would be that's a good choice I have some honorable mentions I think SGA has just proven that the skeptics of his the people who called him foul merchants and said that he was putting up empty stats or whatever were absolute fools he is the man. He, he's clearly a top 10 player, even higher than that. Chet, I think also when we're talking about Thunder guys, there were so many people who just hit the default. He's too skinny. He's going to get hurt. He's going to get pushed around. And turns out Chet is one of the best rookies this century and is absolutely going to be a superstar in this league for a long time. And then I have Cat because I've always been a Cat believer. But even this year, I was like this specific fit early on given that last year was ugly, I was like, they might need to trade him. It might not work, him and Gobert. And I think that he has done a great job of embracing what he can do to impact the game defensively as a second interior guy. Offensively, I mean, he's damn near having a 50-40-90 season. He's 0.05% from the line away from being there. I think he's been efficient. He's been a mismatch attacker. And he's just really contributing to a great basketball team right now. And I think a lot of people, you know, if it's because of how he changes his voice or because he hasn't been at his best in the limited playoff sample that we've seen from him, but people talk about him like he is a Julius Randle sort of drop off, like he's terrified of the moment. I mean, Kat just gets slandered, bro. People just don't like Kat, but he's playing really well right now. And I'm excited because of that. But I actually think my choice here is going to be Kristaps Porzingis because that is a guy who had developed a reputation as soft and brittle and past his prime and basically people were just over him and they had sort of sold all their stock and i want to be clear a couple years back i was frustrated by kp i thought that he was far too reliant on just taking turnaround jumper after turnaround jumper never imposed himself physically really wasn't embracing the end of the defensive floor to the utmost potential that he had there but last year i was like okay this dude is playing his best basketball ever and that really convinced me that he had changed. And a lot of people ignored that season because it came in Washington. But it was real. And now you see him in a winning situation where he's not trying to be the first option offensively or a second option, but he can do all of these complementary things. And he's playing at an all-star level. He's averaging 20 points per game on 66% true shooting. He is the most efficient scorer in the league at that volume. And he is doing that, Logan, during like the worst shooting year of his career. He's 32% from deep. But... He's getting to the rim more than ever. His free throw rate is much higher than ever. He is being used more as a roller and he's crushing it there as a finisher, being assertive in the paint. He is scoring with 96th percentile post-up efficiency, just a nightmarish mismatch attacker and then defensively holding people 14% below their typical field goal percentage at the rim, defending at a really high level on one of the league's elite defenses. So... We're giving all the love in the world to Derek White, and deservedly so. He is playing arguably at an all-star level. We talked about are there enough spots, but he is having an unbelievable impact on winning. But so is KP. And KP is a guy who, yeah, had this profile, was nationally known as a star when he was in New York, and then was maligned, maligned, criticized, negative, basically just bad coverage of him for years, and now he is killing it in a contending situation and i'm happy to see it and he deserves a lot of credit for that
1: and porzingis said too that you know it was a mentality change for him too when he came over to boston that you know i think it took him being removed from that situation in dallas and that's another thing too man is i don't know if i wish he had committed more to playing hard in dallas uh but you know he never had the ball in his hands it was tough for him to kind of grow his game when luca's taken so many possessions but uh Kristaps really hinted at that. He said that it was a commitment to making winning plays, to playing Mm -hmm. a role. And he really has been effective. I think that's a phenomenal choice, Carson, because I was in the same boat. I didn't know if it would translate. And we can kind of take these, when these players go these places, for granted. You know what I mean? And they really can play. uh, They really still can play winning ball. This is... Oh, yeah. Do you think this is the best year of Kristaps'
2: career, or do you think it was last year in Washington? Wow. Wow. I think it's this year because of the context, because it just matters more like, yeah, he was defending really well last year in Washington and he was still scoring really efficiently and he was great on post-ups and all that, but he was doing it for just a shitty team. And now he's just gone a little bit from that number one option offensively mindset to embrace even more doing the complimentary things, doing the little things, prioritizing efficiency and the results have been fantastic. Like, I don't know if he can be an all-star this year because uh, both conferences are just so stacked and because he has still missed a decent amount of games due to injury, like to the extent where it could at least be a tiebreaker versus an equally good player. But he is playing at an all-star level. Like, this is one of the certainly 40 dudes you want on your team most. And before the year, I can't remember if it was the ringer or ESPN or both. Somebody had Josh Giddy above him. And I remember, like, a week into the season being like, hey, guys, who the hell had Josh Giddy over Kristaps Porzingis because you guys need to chill the hell out. Chill on my boy. All right, Logan, Well, we talk about KP having some of his injury struggles and having to overcome that, really unfortunately for John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies, he is out for the year with a shoulder injury. Just Nine games this season is all we got to see from him after, of course, the suspension. And now this really unfortunate year for Memphis overall. Just kind of feels like a missed opportunity. Which team in the NBA do you think is in the worst spot right now?
1: Uh, I think the team in the worst spot uh, is probably the Washington Wizards. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I know that feels like probably low-hanging fruit. Um, it's because it is. I mean, it I just is. think... The, the Wizards organizationally are just lost. And what's
2: sad about the Washington Wizards is they've been lost for yes. I don't know, thirteen years. Ooh. Uh, I think we can go a lot higher than that. I think we can go to about uh forty forty three years. Yeah, yeah. They've been lost.
1: It's about right. Uh, they were good in the
2: seventies and <laughs> that was it. That
1: was it. Uh Batman, we gotta go back to being the Washington Bullets. Oh yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, their best time as the Wizards was, I guess, like, Beal and Wall 2015, and then the brief year with Antoine and Caron and No Chill Gill, like, 2007. I mean, they were good, I guess, for, like, a few years in the mid-2000s, but when I say good, I mean, like, first-round exit, good, you know?
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, Gilbert Arenas brings his gun to the locker room. They draft John Wall with the number one pick, and here we are, uh... Yeah, I, I think that it starts with the trades, the fact that they turned Chris Paul, they turned Bradley Beal into Chris Paul, and then they turned Chris Paul into Jordan Poole. Uh, I don't think they got a ton of great value back for Kristaps Porzingis. I think they have blown both of their draft picks from the last two seasons effectively, and they may pan out, who knows? Johnny Davis probably won't. I really like Johnny Davis. I called him Diet Devin Booker. That was a freezing cold take. Uh, I like Koulibaly. I think he's a role player, probably, at his max on a winning team. His offensive bag isn't that deep. He's really athletic. He'll be a good defender. You know, he's not like a number 1, I feel, offensively. And there's just no direction, and there's no guy to point to where you're like, this is our guy. Your two best players are Kyle Kuzma. And, God, man, that is so funny to
2: say. Jordan Poole, your two best players. No, no. Daniel Gafford? some respect on Corey Kispert. Would you rather have Corey Kispert or Jordan Poole? Would you rather have Denny of Dia or Jordan Poole? What's the context? Who do you want on your team? What Uh, does my team look like? Average NBA team. I'm dead serious. I would rather have both Denny of Dia. I wouldn't think about it. Denny has been playing better offensively this year. He's been shooting a bit better. He's a plus defender. He's a good playmaker. Kispert is an elite shooter. He can put the ball on the floor. I don't like... I don't like... A little bit of this. I least. don't like Jordan... I just don't
1: like Jordan Poole's attitude. Like, yeah. Know, he seems like he's... I don't need Jordan Poole in my I life. Don't I don't need him seems at all. Like he's too good for... I, I, I The thing that's guarding... Well, I've seen it countless times with Golden State where it, there will be an advantage. Jordan Poole wastes it. The one play that got me with Washington was that one that was circulating on social media... There's so many gaps of him this year, but the one where he is visibly frustrated in the huddle, not listening to the play. That's the guy that Washington said was their guy. Uh, There always seems to be dysfunction with Washington sports teams. Uh, The the, at least the commanders had an excuse because Dan Snyder was the dumbest and worst owner in sports for over 20 years. The Wizards don't really have that uh, excuse. The Wizards have just been toiling away uh for years now yeah for me it's it's not even close like like you look at the other teams the grizzlies great culture taylor jenkins is always going to get the most out of these guys and i think there's a little bit of a silver lining for memphis so many of these other guys can be able to grow their game a little bit you're going to be able to evaluate some of the younger talent and really see what you've got in some of these guys because they have young talent the wizards don't even really have that like at least this is an evaluation season for memphis and again taylor jenkins is going to get this group to play hard and win games they just have a great culture the hornets who you might point to well they've got brandon miller and they've got uh lamello ball they have building blocks the detroit pistons have Cade cunningham they have a building block uh the spurs have victor Wembanyama. they have a building block you know what i mean all of these other teams have something the trailblazers have scoot henderson Shaden sharp they have building
2: blocks the washington wizards Have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought where you were maybe going to go with Memphis is that they're actually going to have a high draft pick for once. That too. Yeah. Because that's kind of been their curse. It's a classic thing that can happen when you get a really talented young player and they had such a good culture and they were well coached. They just immediately were competitive once Jaw got there. And so obviously they had had triple J the year before, but they didn't have that next chance to really, draft highly and then this year uh, they're going to be picking pretty high because they're just not so good without jaw the offense is a disaster they did they did kind of dog uh the mavs last yeah, they night did. though they did they sure did but uh that can happen man on any night in the nba that's the other thing like january nba some wild shit's gonna start happening okay wild stuff is gonna happen be prepared don't overreact to one game this I mean Luca and Kyrie. Weird. Yeah, Luca and Kyrie just didn't shoot well, you know? Yeah, weird stuff happens on in, in single games in January. I do wonder if they're cursed. I do wonder if the Grizzlies have been cursed just for this season. And I have a theory here. I don't know if I should share this publicly yet because I just don't know if if the world is ready to hear it. But there is a bridge troll just east of Memphis known as Balthazar the Baleful. And oftentimes to get into the city you'll have to pass through and you'll have to answer his riddles three and my understanding uh, was that when he asked jaw to answer his riddles three jaw just flashed the tool at him and i don't think that that was well received by balthazar or by the uh by the bridge troll association and so what they can often do is they can curse you it's not unlike what happened with volgamir uh, who of course is a far more powerful warlock uh, and what he's done to the golden state Warriors. But the Bridge Troll Association, when they unite, they can actually be quite powerful as well. Like I will year. say, I
1: I think that this does need to be some more extra time for reflection for Ja Morant, and the only reason I say that is even in his games back, like the celebratory, like the you know him pretending to shoot the gun. Yeah, true. I, I just don't think it's a good look for him no. in the sense that we've talked about this before. I, I love Ja. I love watching him play and the NBA has shown that they will buy into superstars if you do right, if you do right by the league. And that's just, that's just the other thing is that like, I want Ja to really realize that he is a role model at this point in his career. And he has a lot of status and a lot of, a lot of power and a lot of influence over young children. And it shouldn't be something that he's glamorizing or totally making seem cool. It's not cool Ja. What is cool is that you've worked really hard and that, you have gotten to this point. You weren't gifted with these traits athletically. You had to work with them. We've seen the videos, the plyometrics, you doing this every single day after school. You were a zero star. You weren't recruited. You had to go to Murray State. Ja Morant is such a success story. He is so wholesome how he got to this point, and it's frustrating that we can't appreciate that story. Like I just I want Ja to buy into himself as a role model and be the guy that I think Memphis and the league needs him to be because what the league has consistently shown us is that they do not need you. Yeah. You need the league. And I hope this is just some extra time for reflection uh, for job because I wanted to clean up his act and and, and be a a real role model and a positive figure in the NBA and they will accept him and they will build commercials around him. You'll make tons of money. He's just got to buy in and I want him to buy in because it, it is a really good story that we just... I don't know, can't appreciate because he keeps doing boneheaded things on and off the court. It's not a good look, and uh, I want him to, to reflect on this. I'm not going to call it karma, but it, it, it there's a little bit of that that, that I feel like is, is involved in this.
2: Yeah, no, it's a good point. Like, he does need to understand the gravity and the consequences for his actions. And when you get suspended 25 games, like, you do have to take a look in the mirror. And even if you think it's excessive... If you return with the everybody else is screwing me over mentality, fuck you guys, I'm going to lean into this gun thing and all that, it's not good for you. Especially because it's not like it was an isolated incident. You can have your opinion about if that was too harsh a suspension. But everybody just keys in on, on Ja having the gun on IG Live as if there wasn't also the whole incident with him fighting a kid right? Like this was a repeated pattern of terrible decisions Bro, that John ja made last at the, year. at the strip club. I yeah. mean, I, there's, yeah, there's a,
1: there's a long list.
2: Yeah. 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 So I think that's a good take. Probably a little bit better than my theory about Balthazar the Baleful. Although, you know, both have their place with,
1: uh, like, like uncle Ben said, man, shout out Spider-Man with great power comes, comes great responsibility. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. is a superhero to these kids, man. They look up to you. I just Mm -hmm. want him to be a positive role model for the community, man.
2: Yeah. The Grizzlies definitely aren't in the worst place in the league, though, even if Mm -hmm. we've both been a bit lower on their ceiling and all that. Like, obviously, they have a couple of foundational talents there, and they have a culture. I think it's the Wizards, and it's exactly because of the reason that you laid out. Every other team you can look at and you can say, okay, no matter how bad they are right now, the Detroit Pistons may lose 28 straight games, and then win one and then lose another five in a row. And at least they have Kate Cunningham and they have even Jalen Duran. But if we're talking about like really the guy, then it's Kate Cunningham. The Spurs have Victor Juan so obviously they're better off. The Hornets, as much as he may be hurt, which sucks, have LaMelo Ball, who is playing at an awesome level this year. The Wizards are the one team who just don't have that guy. Kuz is playing well but obviously he's just going to end up being a trade piece. He doesn't fit on their timeline whatsoever. And I think that he should get more buzz, like when they do show that they're willing to move him because Kuz is playing really, really well. I think that dude has gotten really good. And again, it doesn't necessarily get a bunch of shine because he is doing it in Washington. And I like Koulibaly. I've been really impressed by him. I thought Taking him at seven was a reach. I liked him, but I viewed him as much more of like that 10 to 14 range. I thought that there were dudes in the sort of two-way mold who were just going to be better versions of that, even if they weren't able to get like that foundational guard who I wanted them to because Anthony Black had just gone. So that guy wasn't necessarily on the board, but like Koulibaly looks really, really good, man. He has these great athletic tools. Crazy length can be an awesome, awesome defender but also his shot last year was a question. He shot better as the year went along, but he's been shooting really well, and he's looked smooth. He's looked comfortable handling. He's changing gears nicely as a driver. Like, that dude has really got something to him. When you consider how raw he was as a prospect, and then he's just turned 19, and he does have these physical tools, like, I've been encouraged. I don't I don't think that he's the guy, but I think that he is better than I anticipated. And I do like that as a pick for them, but yeah, they have to get that cornerstone for me to put them above any of these other teams.
1: Yeah. And cool. Bali is like you said, still extremely young too. So, I mean, they have very young, they have time to tap into, into that, but yeah, I, I'm sorry, wizards fans. Good luck guys. Do you think, do you think they should deal Kuzma at the deadline? Do you think a winning team, uh, with aspirations uh, because I mean wing depth is kind of a big concern across the league like do you think Mm -hmm. Kuzma would be an intriguing asset for somebody to take a swing at
2: well I wanted the Kings to get him in the offseason because I was like if you're gonna have somebody in that sort of Harrison Barnes forward mold right potential mismatch attacker guy who's going to be decent enough as a spot-up shooter why wouldn't you get a dude who can do more with the ball in his hands who isn't as good of a pure shooter that's the one advantage that barnes does have but is still solid there better rebounder better playmaker has shown the ability to defend at a higher level like to me that's what i would be looking at i I like him more than a siakam there which apparently now that's been shut down just because the siakam Sabonis spacing i think gets pretty ugly and i think that that would at least take the king's ceiling up a little bit of a level so i think that he absolutely should have intrigue like teams want big wings and uh kuz is a good big wing he's
1: very skilled i think uh i think teams should be interested in him i've heard siakam to the mavericks too dude i don't i don't really know what uh i don't know i expect him to get dealt by the deadline but it seems like it's a lot it's it's more difficult than uh than we would have guessed
2: yeah of course there's the warriors rumors but then like spicy P is apparently making it a little bit tricky where like he told the kings that he wouldn't sign there it's going to be interesting. If they don't move him, then what a disaster by Masai. Like, uh, year after year, the last three years, it's been like, hey, we're not good enough, but we have these win-now assets. Oh, we're on the brink of moving them, and we're on the brink of finally pivoting our direction, and then they got good value for OG, but if Siakam, who should be the guy who gets you the bigger haul, gets you nothing, that's bad. That's, well, that's they- real bad
1: they lose freddie buckets you know basically for nothing too i mean i think that yeah if they if they can crush the siakam trade the raptors can really set themselves up well for success because i like the young core that they're putting together now with iq with rj with scotty i think all of these guys work well together you know it's just about finding that next five that next wing a bench guard whatever it is that's going to put you over the top uh they, I like Gary Trent too. You know, I like the Raptors a lot. I, I like what they're putting together there, but they have
2: to crush this trade. It would be crazy if the Mavs got him. And I actually like that so because he's a big forward. You want them to have more size in the front court. You want them to have more guys who can defend. You can go Spicy P at the five looks. Maybe you would have to give up Lively. You probably would because that's the problem with this. The Mavs have no assets. The Mavs have moved all of their assets. They gave up their last intriguing assets, really, to get Kyrie. And now a new one has popped up in Derek Lively, but he's playing a valuable role for that team. And so then, if you do bring in Spicy P, maybe you're relying on him at the 5. Or then it's Dwight Powell back to your starting 5, which isn't great. So, if they could get him, it would still be a win. It might present some new issues, but you would be adding talent level in an archetype that is valuable but like for the Raptors, are you gonna take one first, Derek Lively, and then like THJ in whatever contract filler you need? Because like that's what you're getting, dude. And then that's not what they have been targeting over the last couple of years. So uh it's a little bit dicey in Toronto on that side, but at least they did get IQ and RJ, and those guys are both balling out right now. All right, that's gonna do it for us here today, everybody. Hope you enjoyed. If you did. There is always more NerdSesh content. You can watch all of our full shows at the NerdSesh YouTube page. You can listen to our full shows across audio platforms. You can follow us across social media on TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh. Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. If you want to see our trivia content, if you want to see clips from the show, graphics of some of the things that we talk about, all of that will be there. You can also check out our Discord if you want at the link tree across our social media bios. Uh, You can join our community there, talk NBA, NFL, etc. You can also check out our merch if you want at thevolume.com. Logan's wearing the Nerd Sesh hat. We've got shirts. We've got hoodies. We've got the flags behind us, all of that. So check it all out if you want. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.